0: Three rounds in and we might well be done here. Welcome to Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. Let's go! Yes, on that cheerio, Welcome to episode 6 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we look back on the Aragon round of the World Superbike Championship which may actually prove to be a very critical weekend in the destiny of this week, this season's World Superbike Championship as Jonathan Ray extended his lead despite losing his winning streak in 2017 uh, over Chaz Davies. We'll look at all the big stories from Aragon as Chaz Davies crashed out of the first race from a winning position before beating Ray in the second you' taking a double podium and Alex Lowe's becoming Alex Lowe's again in race two. More on that later on. We'll also talk about World Super Sport, which is now three for three for batshit crazy races this season. And the debut of the World Supersport 300 will give our first impressions on that new class. We'll also talk about the opening round of the British Superbike Championship as BSB took a sensible pill and pulled a concussed shaky burn out of the weekend. And Leon Haslam took full advantage with a double race victory. We'll also look ahead to this weekend as MotoGP returns at Termas de Hondo in Argentina for round two of the championship. Uh, it's a warm welcome once again. I'm Lewis Sudbury to all of you sitting in, and to Andre Harrison who joins me this week. Welcome along, Andre
1: Yeah, bear with me, you guys. I am suffering a little bit of a cold, but uh, I go I to soldier on like Alex Lowe's. Well, hopefully about the crashing part. But in any case, yes, I'm here. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Hopefully,
0: I won't lose you halfway through there. Um, yeah, a bad case, of, a, bad, a bad case of Dre flu, um at the moment. So uh, yeah, hopefully he'll um, he'll soldier on. We'll we'll keep going. We're actually both soldiering because we're recording this on the Thursday, April sixth at half past ten in the morning. Um, so yeah, one of us is, one of us has a call. One of us is very low on sleep. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> so, uh,
0: so this might be a fun show to record. Um, so uh, let's uh, tell you first of all, while we wake up, about the places you can find us uh, on social media. Um, first of all, our website, which is motorsport101.net, dedicated uh, sections to motorsport101 and bike live over there now, so check that out. Uh, on Facebook, we have facebook.com forward slash motorsport101.
1: Our Twitter, go ahead, Dre. It's at Motorsport underscore 101. I have actually... The practice yes, to get this right. We right butchered it on on this week's episode. Yes, at
0: <laughs> Motorsport underscore one hundred and one on YouTube, where you can see Dre's weekly Google Hangouts. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport one hundred and one. Uh, and if you like us so much, you can back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport one hundred and one. Where if you do support us on there, uh, that will earn you e- uh, early access to each of our weekly shows, Motorsport one hundred and one, and Bike Live, which we're getting into a bit of a, a pattern now of releasing Motorsport one hundred and one on a Wednesday and Bike
1: Live on a Friday. Uh, we'll do that, our best to keep that up. Um, that, 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 that's all going. that's all Lewis, by the way. I do not claim to be the only <laughs> <guy>. one. <laughs> that's all him. Yeah.
0: So staying up till four AM on a Monday night to watch Monday Night Raw comes in awfully handy when you've got a podcast to edit. Yes. Um, so um so yeah. Thank, for you. <laughs> thank the WWE for that. Um, so uh yeah, let's let's crack on then um with this week's live episode six. And we're still very, very early in the season. We're on April 6th, Dre, but we might have had a very championship defining weekend out in Aragon um, for the third round of the World Superweight Championship because of what happened in race one. Um, We'll start with Super Pole, where Chaz Davies did what Chaz Davies very rarely does, and that's take pole position um, for a World Superweight round. He just pipped the two factory Kawasakis to it um, with uh, Sykes and Ray second and third on the grid, um, or second and third, and the other way around. Ray out Sykes again. Um, out in Aragon. Um, And we got the head-to-head that we kind of hoped we'd see. We kind of feared we might see a Chas Davies escape act um, in those two races. We didn't get it. Jonathan Ray stayed with him. And Chas Davies crashing out. Now, that's the second time he's done that this year. He did that um, in the first part of the second Thailand race before the red flag came out. And those are the kind of moments that when you're playing catch-up, Chas Davies can seldom afford a crash, especially... When he's cracking yes. out of a lead with Jonathan Ray right on his tail, but unfortunately that's what we got.
1: It is unfortunately what we've got. And sadly, I think it's kind of become a bit of a pan of Chaz Davis' career, either littered with bad luck or one critical mistake that may have cost him very dearly. And like this, this is this is Davis land. He loves Aragon. He's won there five times before, and he had I'd say a good half second going into that final lap if he if he makes it through the last corner okay i think davis takes a double here if he doesn't crash at the, at the penultimate corner there at, at uh, on the penultimate lap there it was a it was an awful awful mistake and it just seems to be one that may have gifted ray 25 extra points he didn't deserve
0: well, quite you, frankly you kind
1: of gifted 30 didn't it because chaz lost yeah. chaz lost the the 25 and ray gained five exactly so when he, when he weighed it up like that, it, it was a dreadful mistake. And one that really, if anything, David should have completely avoided. He wasn't under immediate pressure. And it just seemed like a very, very weird sort of unforced error from Chaz. Um, it's just, just bizarre, really, that, that, that Chaz he, he was riding so well to get to that point And it looked like he finally got on the measure of Jonathan on that one. Boff. Down he goes. Mm. And. And, it, and you can see the frustration, um, him kicking himself figuratively and literally after he crashed. And he, he knew he, he knew how much this meant, and he knew what, what a disastrous result that was. Yeah, because if you look at the, the championship
0: standings as they are now, and we'll, we'll come on to them, uh, and we'll round them up in full later on, but it's a 50-point lead for Jonathan Ray um, after what happened in race two, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, so, with that 30 point swing, if Chaz Davis does double up at Aragon, even with Jonathan Ray second, the lead back now to 20 points again. Um, yep. And we've got a real championship on. Um, even if Jonathan Ray is looking now unbeatable <laughs> at most circuits on the calendar, a 20 point gap is is small. Um, but it's it, there's two ways of looking at it. Because, as you say, there's one way of looking at it is that it was an unforced error, for, error from Chaz Davis, that he, he had a, a bit of a cushion over Jonathan Ray and decked it. But I, I look at that and I kind of think that. Is that an unforced error, or is that simply that Chaz Davis has to take it to the absolute edge of the envelope just to stay ahead of Jonathan Ray right now?
1: It seemed like that. I mean, we mentioned it last year. Chaz Davis won this race as a a cancer in 2016. He won both races very very comfortably indeed, no threat at all. This year, Jonathan Ray was in control for most of the weekend, and they mentioned it on commentary about Jonathan seemed to have Seemed to be easier on his tyre and Davis was sliding all over the place towards the end of that race. And yeah, I think he made a very good point. Maybe Davis was at 110% trying to keep himself ahead at that point because Jonathan was looking very comfortable out there all weekend long. Again, it, it, it seems that Kawasaki has made real progress to making that team Jonathan raised this year because he's so comfortable out there, so mm. flexible. He, he's gotten to a point where he's now good anywhere and if anyone wants to beat him, they've got to go beyond beyond a reasonable limit to be able to to give Jonathan a race. And that's what Chaz had to do on both occasions to to get that one and to have that accident. It's it that's the fine line we're talking about in World Superbikes now. Mm, yeah, one thing we can never question
0: though about Chaz Davis <laughs> is his mental strength and his ability to bounce back from these kind of mistakes and these kind of problems that he has um in a race weekend, because race two comes around of course by virtue of the, the new for 2017 grid rules, Chad Davies didn't get two poles for the weekend, despite taking Super pole on the Saturday. He was back to 10th on the grid for race two, as the first of the non, or the fastest qualifier that didn't finish in the top nine, uh, which put him 10th on the grid. Mm. Um, yet, both he, well, he to a extent, actually, Jonathan Ray and Tom Sainz both made rapid progress in those first couple of laps. It? I mean, Ray was sensational again. Um, to slide his way through. He was, he was second within a lap
1: and a half, wasn't he? Um, it was. It was It was incredible. By lap three, he was in second place. And yeah, I, just the, the, the level, yeah, the level of controlled aggression from Jonathan Ray on these race two starts is insane to watch. He's it's, yeah. it's magnificent in that.
0: Because Aragon is one of those circuits where you shouldn't be able to do that, Cause, especially because of the short run to the first corner. That tight turn yeah. one, um, which just sort of it's a bottleneck and it's horrible for the guys that are sort of mid pack because there's just. So many bikes trying to funnel into a one line corner, essentially. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. one. So, for Jonathan Ray to do that. But Chaz Davis didn't really, did he? he? He didn't really make that early pros. He was still behind Sykes and Melandry um, and obviously the two Yahas earlier, and yet he still came through. And credit where it's due, Chaz Davis, a, a mega response. And actually, when we look at the way he rode, um, it kind of backs up our point about Chaz, about how hard he's having to try just to stay with Jonathan Ray right now, because he very nearly decked it in the final lap of Race 2 as well
1: very very much so I mean he had that great big wobble on the final lap again Davis looked like he had it comfortably and then he had a massive wobble in in the the second sector of the final lap and that allowed Jonathan to bunch right up again and that probably is what gave Radiopus to go for that penultimate quarter dive bomb attempt to. yeah, it was it was the Hail Mary attempt and he very nearly got it. He left Chaz literally a cigarette paper's width of room to get through back on the inside again. But uh, whew, don't call Jonathan Ray someone that isn't an eraser because he had no reason to go for that no. whatsoever. But he did. It was, <laughs> it, was,
0: it, was, it was great though, wasn't it? The way Chaz just cut back through on the uh, corner and almost gave him a little tap on the way past. Um, as he went past and Jonathan Ray must have sort of seen that happen and thought, yeah, this guy wants this one a bit more than me um, yep. and he, he needs this one um, I mean, Jonathan Ray wins that and he goes six from six, I mean, that would have been scary, um, yeah. especially given that we have Assen next, which is one of Jonathan Ray's favourite circuits, but even in the Honda days, he used to win there all the time um, so um, so yeah, Jonathan Ray giving up five points, but I think Chas Davies needed that one badly in race two, and, and as I say, he he seems to be very good at this. I mean, last season you can argue that he didn't really hit form until the game was up, until the title was lost and the pressure was off. But, yep. you know, to have that crushing disappointment in race one, to lose the race with a lap and a bit to go, you know, not many riders would have come back from that and won race two from 10th on the
1: grid. But Chaz did it. A very gritty performance from Chaz in race two. I completely agree. And Maureen had to really earn it. Like, Chas, it's coming clear that Chaz is not as talented an overtaker as Jonathan Ray is. No. Chaz had to pace himself a little bit more in that race. See, he, he off, he, he, he took, like, Jonathan Ray was leading the race comfortably by the end of lap five. But... Chaz had to get through Vandermark, der Mark, both Yamaha's essentially, his own teammate, and Tom Sykes. And he took his time to get up there, but he managed his pace extremely well. And then he he, he came on strong towards the end of that race and had the pace to do it. And again, forced Jonathan into, into, into having to basically go 100% to try and win the race. And... Again, he made it a bit more difficult for himself with that last lap yes. mistake, but he, he got the job done in the end. And again, it was a very gritty performance, one where not only he needed the win, I think the entire series needed somebody else to win at this point. Otherwise, like all morale would have been sucked out of the entire paddock at this point. If Jonathan goes 6-for-6, six six, including Aragon with a 55-point lead, that would have been just... Oh, end of day sort of discussions right here so the fact that chas came back and won race two in in very majestic fashion indeed was very impressive yeah yeah
0: he he needed that one badly and it yeah, gives me a bit of confidence <laughs> to take to to ask him where although jonathan ray did double up last year Chaz was very close to him in both races absolutely uh, last year or you say he would have been close in that second race had he not made that mistake in the wet to dry race where he changed tires too late um, so, so we look forward to that to see if if Chaz can, can close the gap there. Um, but for Jonathan Ray, though, Dre, even though he's lost his his winning streak, um, it was kind of uh, kind of fitting in on WrestleMania weekend that a big winning streak came to an end. Um, um, but it, it just more superlatives for him, though. Surely, even though because this is not a circuit that he expected to be winning at, he expected to be kind of following Chaz home um, around Aragon, and. We can't speak highly enough for this guy at the moment, can we? Because if we look at his teammate Tom Sykes, who is a world champion and a quality rider, could not was barely in the same postcode as Jonathan Ray. And when you look at the the sort of the, the balance of power between Kawasaki and Ducati, it was definitely favoured on the side of Ducati this weekend because Malandrini beat Sykes by a by a little distance in both races. So yeah. that's the sort of number two riders, if you like, and where they're both at. Melandry beat Sykes <laughs> twice. yet yeah, Jonathan Ray was on. Surely this is Jonathan Ray making the difference here, rather than the Kawasaki making the difference. Because Ray had no right really to be anywhere near Chaz Davies this weekend,
1: did he? No, not in the slightest. This is Chaz Davis land. I've mentioned this before, and and yeah, like like in race two, Jonathan Ray was ten seconds ahead of Tom Sykes. Ten seconds in in a twenty lap race, where again, so Jonathan Ray is basically giving you half a second more on that bike right now. That's a terrifying advantage. And like you say, yeah, it wasn't Knock like
0: Sykes got stuck in traffic either. He made the same progress Jonathan Ray
1: did. Exactly. Like Sykes was following Jonathan through most of these times around. And and yeah, just in open air, Jonathan Ray is so much faster in terms of race pace right now. Sykes might still have a close, you know, minuscule advantage over a single lap, but Jonathan's improved in every facet of his game this year, and he's now winning races on paper. He shouldn't really be winning. And that is the ultimate sign of someone being on another level is when you're winning races on on the form but you're not really meant to. And again, Melandry and Ducati were very fast this weekend. I mean, Melandry had hit 202 miles an hour on the speed traps in race two there, which I had to tweet Greg Haynes about. I said, well, that was a speed record. He never got back to me on that one, unfortunately. Greg, if you're listening, (laughs) dig out the stat book. But in the meantime, yeah, Melandry, again, Ducati, this is a Ducati track. They're very powerful. They're very fast around here. This, This track favors them. And despite that, Jonathan Ray was in contention for both race wins and could have very easily won both wins. And if that happens, he's kissed his title goodbye, quite frankly. But in any case, Jonathan is... Again, like you say, there's no superlatives left for how fast this man is on a superbike right now. He is practically invincible, and that's a very, very hard thing to say about a rider in, in any form of two wheel motorsport when they're that dominant. But yeah, Jonathan is, is making the rest of the field look sheepish. Him and Chas Davis are in another league compared to the field, and Jonathan might be one league ahead of Chas, which is just terrifying.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is, because you, you, you see, very easy, obviously, we've judged what happened in race one with Chaz making the crash. But that, that's why I bring up the fact that Jonathan was probably putting so much pressure on him that Chaz had to ride like that just to stay ahead. Because guy, the guy's too good at the moment. There's just no obvious weakness in his game. Cause even in previous years with Jonathan Ray, you could at least say, well, at least he's not as quick as Sykes in Super poles. At least he's qualifying on the sort of second row sometimes, but he's not even doing that anymore. No. Um, I don't know how much of that is the new Super Bowl tire. I don't know how much of that is just Jonathan Ray just feeling at one now. With the bike, where he feels he can push it on one lap as well and get the best out of it, um, because he's now three for three in super poles over Sykes, even though it was very close on Saturday. They were pretty much on identical times at uh, Aragon, an um, and he's now five wins at a second out of six races, um, and the second was a very close second. And, and uh, look, World Superbikes is a very, very long season. It's not like World Super Sport Absolutely. where there is ones per weekend. So we still have overall. Twenty races to go, which is a hell of a lot. So it's 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 still not in the realms of championship over because there's twenty races to go. Yet a lot can change and a lot can happen. Um, but at the moment, Ray, it's hard to see anybody getting close to Jonathan Ray
1: long term because we know how good he is. Like, if 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 you had walked into this season saying, "Oh, we're going to give Jonathan Ray a fifty point lead through three rounds," would you would you think anybody would beat him over the rest of the season? No, because he's so consistent. That's Jonathan Ray's magnum opus. It's the fact that if the bike has no problems, he will finish the race on the podium. It's happened over 90% of the time since he's joined Kawasaki. He doesn't give his opponents wiggle room. He, If you want to beat him, you've got to be like Chaz, where you can win six or seven on the bounce, really, and hope that, that Jonathan finishes lower than second so you can take more substantial points out of him. But... He's so good at damage limitation, he's so good at not making mistakes, and he's so good at winning the races he can win that he doesn't give any major opposition opposition threat any sort of breathing room or any sort of momentum where he can rack up results. It's, that's how good he is. And when, when you're so good you can basically nullify anything that any other opponent throws at you, good luck. Because, again, Jonathan's won five out of six, and he's made it look very, very easy throughout those six races so far. And who cares if he's given five points to Chaz on this one? He's got 50 in hand. So, unless you see win within the next six or seven, which I don't, because, again, he's uh, Jonathan Ray's super strong at Assen. Porto now is another track he's very strong at as well. When, when, when you've got another good set of Kawasaki rounds coming soon, not to mention Donington, where Tom Sykes will most likely take both, because Sykes loves Donington like an adopted child, it's one of those things where I don't see where Chas gets these 50 points back from unless Jonathan makes mistakes, which he doesn't. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, it's very interesting because uh, Greg was the things Greg Kane said at the weekend with, with Jonathan Ray in that Johnny Ray really wanted a double or he really wanted at least a win at Aragon, given that he, it's usually Chas Davies territory. And he also said that Jonathan Ray really does want to win at Donington Park this year. Um, he really does want to sort of snap that winning streak of, of, of Sykes um because that's almost the only thing that ray has left now he's got his championships he's got so many wins and podiums so he almost wants to sort of tick the boxes now though the places he hasn't won yet um and Wellington is one of those and obviously sykes will be going for a perfect 10 there this year um which is a fitting reference in this week of all weeks um so 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 sykes has got Sykes has got that on that's probably the only thing he has on jonathan ray right about now so so ray will be looking to try and take that one back in may Um, and as I say, thinking of the championship, it's 50 points now. And obviously Chaz will be looking to reel that in, but who's to say that gap's not just going to grow and grow. Um, yeah, Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to stop at 50, um, at the moment. I mean, and Chaz is already in the sort of realms where he needs some DNFs or some mistakes from Ray. Um, because Ray's showing no sign of letting up uh, and getting any slower or getting any threat from within his team. And uh, we'll talk about Sykes ever so briefly, Dre. And again, it's, he was a long way behind Jonathan Ray again, but again I find it hard to be too critical because how much of this is like struggling, and how much of this is Ray just being on another planet?
1: Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like, well, how, like, what's the true baseline of this bike? I used to to use this argument when I was talking about Felipe Massa in his days at Ferrari, and like
0: measuring Sikes against one of the greats of World Superbikes history.
1: Exactly. You, 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 in the same way that you were mentioned, you were, you were referencing Felipe Massa, like. Like you're going up against a guy that's won 30-plus Grand Prix and two world titles. So you're looking at, like, what's the true baseline of the car here? In the same way that in this case, what's the true baseline of the bike? And if this team is still focused on Tom Sykes, they're kidding themselves at this mm-hmm. point. Like, like I'm, 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 That's just the reality of it now. Like, Sykes is not, is not Jonathan Ray. That's just the sad reality of it. I've tried. I've tried pulling for this dude. But, but at this point, like, Kawasaki is basically cutting off its own nose to smite its face if it still thinks it's Tom Sykes' team. Jonathan Ray is your franchise guy. He is on the way to rewriting the entire rulebook of World Superbikes at this point. And again, it, it's not that Sykes is bad. He's still an excellent one-lap guy. He is still going to leave a uh, leave a weekend with at least 30 points in Stay hand world champion. He's a world champion, and he, he he will still get podiums every weekend. He's that sort of guy, and I'm sure he'll win a couple of rounds between now and the end of this, and the end of the season. Again, into is coming up. He, he's he's almost bound to win both there at least, and he'll probably sneak two or three more in other places because he's Tom Sykes. He's still an excellent elite level world superbike rider. But unfortunately, we are witnessing an all-time great run by Jonathan Ray here, where. If he wins three in a row, which is looking very likely to do that right now, one to six of the bookies, by the way, on that one, Jonathan, right now to to win the third, doing his third straight title. Um, so we are witnessing something historic here right now,
0: so, yeah, it's never been done in World Superbike. Yeah. No one has ever won three in a row uh, yeah. in the World Superweight Championship in its history, and we're in our thirtieth year now of the World Superweight Championship, and. Even even the greats, even the likes of Fogarty and Bayliss never won three titles in a row. Um, so so that's what Jonathan Ray that's what we're talking about here with Jonathan Ray. That's the ground he's he's walking into ground that hasn't been trodden in before in this championship. Um, which just tells you how good he is right now. He is as good as anybody out in the world at the moment on a superbike and you know, there are very few yeah. r- motorcycle riders, period, that are on, on as good a form as Jonathan Ray right now. Um,
1: Real talk, if there was a pound-for-pound pound list of bike riders in the world, Jonathan Ray would be number one for me right now. Yeah, <sighs> if we were doing our power rankings, um, Yeah,
0: yeah he'd, be, he'd be up there. He is he's in phenomenal form at the moment and leads the championship as I say, by 50 points from Chas Davies. Sykes is still third, by the way. He's 54 off the lead, um, so just four behind Chas. So it, it's kind of following that pattern of the last two years, isn't it, With it, Davies and Sykes will end up having that sort of late-season battle for second uh, in the points behind Jonathan Ray. That seems to be where we're heading at the moment. Um, as Davies sort of takes more wins and then gives the points back to Sykes by crashing every now and again, um, so we'll follow that as the season goes on um, the battle for second, Davies will cause hope that it becomes a battle up for the title, but he needs to sort of string some more wins together for that to happen, but at least he's on the board with his first win of the season, his teammates still chasing his first win of the year, and his first win since returning to World Superbikes, Dre, but I think we're almost, even three rounds in we can almost already call this Marco Landry return a success, can't we?
1: I think so. I think this is exactly what Ducati would have wanted from Marco Malandri and I think they know that Chaz Davis ha- is the leader of that team and is the guy that is going out there and, and and you know killing it right now and again that's absolutely you know more than understandable given how good he's been the last two or three seasons but Marco is doing an excellent job in that support role he is Picking up where the results where he can get him. He is challenging the front two on occasions. I think maybe he's got issues with managing his tyres, which is why he's lost out a little bit in the long run. But he's not making the mistakes that Davide Giuliano did. Not really. He had the one little slip-up in Infinite but besides that, he's been very good. Um again, and he's dealing with again, his main threat is Tom Sykes. And Sykes is on a very fast Kawasaki, probably the best overall bike in the field, and a former world champion. And Melandri is giving him his money's worth right now. So, again, I don't think you could ask for much more, realistically, out of Marco Melandri right now. He's doing an excellent job, and he's he is, he is playing that support role. He's not interrupting in Davis's point scoring as much as I thought he might which is actually probably a good thing for the team overall in the long run. But, yeah, Malandri hasn't really put a foot wrong, and he's, he's, he's doing what he needs to do. He's doing a professional job out there, which is, again, something that could be a bit debatable with Malandri over the years, but he's, 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 he's doing an effective job. So props to him. He's, he's, he's doing what he needs to do.
0: Yeah, he is. And last season, just looking through last season, Davide Giuliano, over the course of the entire 2016 season, had five podiums. Marco Andrews had four already in six races Wow. Um, in 2017. And, and one of those other two was a fourth and he might well have been on the podium in Phillip Island Race 1 had he not tangled with Alex Lowe's so, so Malandri is doing exactly what Ducati would have hoped he would do Is as you say, he's be quick be right there but not quite quick enough to mess Chance Davies up um, which is what Ducati really want from, from their, I don't want to call them second rider because Melandry would hate being called that but that's kind of where he's at at the moment um, in that team and for the Manufacturers' Championship, that's exactly what Melandri needs to do, because of course, the way the manufacturers' works, if for those that aren't familiar with World Superbikes and Motorcycle Racing in general, only the first bike home for each manufacturer scores manufacturers' points. Um, so, whereas last season, if Chaz had a crash, Ducati would be only maybe scoring 9 or 10 points if Giuliano takes 6th or 7th, whereas this season, of course, Chaz crashed out of Aragon Race 1, and they still had Melandri there to take 2nd and 20 points. Um, for the Manufacturers' Championship. So Ducati are still they're still in the mix there. They're still only 24 points behind Kawasaki in the Manufacturers' Championship, despite seeing Kawasaki take five wins in a second. All of their points have been scored by Jonathan Ray. You won't be at all surprised to hear. Yep. Um, and Ducati have had three, se- four seconds, a third and a first. Um, so they're right there, but Jonathan Ray is just making the difference there at the moment uh, in that inter-team battle. Um, we've covered Sykes. Let's cover the Yamahas now, who... Uh, If you look at Yamaha's Manufacturer's Championship list of results, 4th, 4th, 5th, 4th, 4th, 5th over the course of the the six races we've seen so far, that's a combination of the results of Lowe's and Vandermark, and they continue to be the nearly guys, don't they, Dre, Um, Yamaha, they're, 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 they're nearly there, they're just close enough to sort of pick up the pieces if some guys ahead of them fall off, but they're just not quite in podium contention yet.
1: They're not quite there yet, and again, it's a shame because they've clearly made real progress, and Crescent Racing deserve all the props in the world for that. They really are getting there, and like again, we'll talk about this in BSP in an hour on. But it looks like they've got a solid R1 this year, by the looks of it. And again, they're doing a they're doing a good job. It's just they're not quite on the level of Ducati and Kawasaki just yet. And yeah, I mean. It's 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 kind of a it's in the middle of the place because we all know Yamaha really wants to win. That's why they came back into Worlds in the first place, and we jumped the gun on them when they first came back, and it ended up being such a disappointing season for them. But it looks like they've got a very good foundation to build on right now. Lowe's is having a very good season um, despite the false neutral concerns, and the yeah, the reliability's been a little bit of a letdown for them so far, as well. Given that Vandermark missed the race or missed the restart because of what happened. Thailand as well so again they've, they've, got, they've got issues there that, that do need resolving to an extent but the pace is there and these race twos Yamaha are continuing to you know become a thorn in the side for guys like for guys like Ray, Sykes, Kawasaki Kawasaki's and Ducati's in general so if if like being the best of the rest right now there's no real shame in that because no. Kawasaki and Ducati are the, are, the, are the class of the field right now and they, and they have work to do to get up to that point yeah, look at who they're ahead of. Uh,
0: Yamaha. That's what I'd say look at some of the teams and some of the bikes that they're beating at the moment. Um, it's only that big four um, that are just on another planet that the Yamaha can't quite live with. And it is kind of telling, isn't it, with Yamaha, where if you look at look at they've had three double front rows, if you like, now uh, for race twos mm. this season, um, and twice now, Exlow's has been on uh, race two pole, um, and. <laughs> He put up more of a fight this time, didn't he? He was—he took him a few laps. He was leading Jonathan Ray until he got pulled back in. But it just goes to show that I, I, they've still got a little bit of work to do. That they—they're still not in a position yet where they can convert that double front row into a result in race two. They still just kind of fall back as the race goes on. It just takes a bit longer this time
1: yeah it does and yeah like you say like their top level pace is up there with the best it's just they don't think they can carry themselves that way around an entire race distance yet and i think in time they'll get there and again they've got two very very good riders right now and they've both had great performances so far this season um Vandermark and Lowes are doing as much as i think the bike can give them really at this point in time so yeah i mean you can't sniff at genuine improvement and they really have they are now clearly the third best bike in the field um right now it's just a matter of if they can find another two or three temps and they can maybe take advantage of the new system they could get podiums on a regular basis i really do think that that could they could do that by the end of the season if they can really you know work themselves into a good position like that
0: yeah absolutely especially when from Vandermark's point of view we've got acid next So he'll have that one penciled in, not just because it's his home round, but he'll have that one down as a big opportunity um, to get a result, given that he he would often be a race-winning contender on the Honda, on the old Honda, uh, Vandermark. So what can he do on that Yamaha in in a few weeks' time uh, when World Superbikes heads to his home round? That's going to be fascinating to see. And as you say, for Alex Lowe's, he had his first first bot really, on his copybook for this season, where he's been so consistent and so strong. Um, But as it transpired after the race, his first crash in the race this season wasn't actually his fault
1: yeah exactly it seems it, seems it was a false neutral that, that caused it unfortunately um we saw John Florent have a couple of these last season and that caused him to fall off the bike as well so yeah it, it seems to be a, a, a little niggling issue there with the Yamaha but uh Hopefully, with a little luck, it was just a one-off because it's a shame because Lowe's was running very well in that race as well before that happened. Very unfortunate.
0: Yeah, you've very, very well. Let's talk about a couple of home boys from Aragon. Two of the Spaniards who had good weekends. Uh, starting with Jordi Torres, the Spanish Elvis himself, uh, who continues right, to do the Lord's work on that BMW. If only that team had some factory support. Eh?
1: I know. We've we've not mentioned this before at all. <laughs> got um... This one. Sixth in race one, Jordi Torres is doing a fantastic job on that Altea BMW. It's again, as we mentioned, BMW does not provide factory support to the Altea team despite using their S1000RRs, which is really unfortunate because, yeah, right now as it stands, um, they're very, very good. They are very, very good indeed. And, and again, Jordi Torres is... He's becoming that perennial guy that gets best out of not so good machinery guy, and mm. like maybe he's maybe he's taking pages out of the Alicia Spagaro playbook at yes. this point, um, because he was he was very good as a rookie at Aprilia when he was alongside a very talented Leon Haslam. Uh, he held his own against him on multiple occasions, had a race win, you know, was was on the podium multiple times. Again, he's his well to bike resume has been nothing but good stuff since he, since he got there from Moto 2. And I would like to see someone take a chance on him in a in, in a better team at some point because he's he's not he's not put a foot wrong since he got into the class and he's leading that team into places where the bike probably doesn't deserve to be right now and I hope. BMW doesn't fall down the order as, as time goes on, and as other factories improve and develop, because that's something that BMW might not be able to do, which is a shame. Because again, you've got a very good young team there with Torres and Reiterberger, and Torres is doing a fantastic job.
0: Mm. Yeah, there are, there are a bit of a crossroads with the Altea team. It was one of the I remember reading a, a story over the course of the weekend from an Italian website about, about Altea from from the team boss who said that the team's got a decision to make now because. Um, I think his exact quote was, or it was translated across, so it, it, basically it was worse to the effect of, we don't want to be a customer anymore, um, looking ahead to 2018. Um, so so Altea may have decisions to make later this season. I think they're, they're going to certainly sort of try and um, try their luck and try and force their hand with BMW and try and get a bit of factory support. because I don't think they want to drop BMW, because clearly they're making some good bike there uh, in that in the S1000RR. So I don't think they want to drop them, but I think BMW are definitely one of the teams that are perhaps having a look at the new Suzuki. Um, to see how Altea, uh, look at that new Suzuki, see how it goes in BSB, see if there's a, the makings of a good bike there, and they may take that on, because they're almost in that McLaren Honda boat, aren't they, Dre, where, or McLaren before they went to Honda. Do you, do you potentially pass up a bike that's good, and it's going to get you some good results, some solid results, and risk getting a bike that might actually be worse initially, but maybe better in the long run? Um, that's almost the position Altea are at now. Do they risk giving up the BMW, which gets them some solid top sixes, and try and risk it for a bike that might get them better than that?
1: Oh no! Not this! Like, like, like—that's the worst decision you can ever make as a satellite team. It's do you, do you, do you give up the, do you give up the seven out of ten for the, for the, for what's in the mystery box? It's, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's never sort of the about...
0: only option on the table for them would be the new Suzuki.
1: You'd think, yeah. I mean, again, I think everybody will be watching Silvermane and this season very closely in BSP because that is going to be essentially the company yardstick for what their bike is going to be and yeah i think that might be the only option at this point because only one major entity is running that suzuki right now and the bmw is solid but bmw are not interested in biking right now so that like they're focusing more on european motorsport gt3 etc so as it yeah, starts involving formula e now as well Yeah, they got they got a Formula E, they got an entry lined up now for season five of Formula E in 2019. So till 2018, 19 season, I suppose, because it carries over the Christmas break and all that. But yeah, you get the gist. It's one of those things where, as it stands, like BMW are a good thing, they're not a great thing, and. I'm not sure where the viable replacement right now... There's no sure thing in going to somewhere like Suzuki right now. Where we don't know where they would fit into a world's paddock right now. And let's be honest, the last time Suzuki was in world superbikes, it wasn't that great. No, just that's Alex Lowe's and Randy DePottier. Um But yeah, it's,
0: it's, it, it, I, 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 I sympathize with them. I really do. Because let's, let's be real, if, then that, that BMW remains a customer bike. They're not going to win on it. They're just no. not um so they may it may be worth them taking the gamble um because Altea want to win you know they're a team that has won this championship before with Carlos Checa so they're they're not a team that wants to exist as a customer um and uh, yeah as I say the team boss pretty much spoke out on the Aragon weekend and said that you know they're, they're pretty much done being a customer team now they want to compete and they want to try and compete at the front um and they yeah you know, I think it's, it's pretty much proven now even in world Superbikes bikes which isn't quite the same sort of technical exercise that MotoGP is now with the prototype bikes, you still need a factory bike to win.
1: Absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt about that. In, in, in both domestic and world superbike leagues, you need that factory backing. Yeah, Customised teams, no teams win.
0: don't win anymore.
1: Customers don't. Customer teams don't win enough, unfortunately. It happens in MotoGP on occasion. I and mean, last year was kind of a freak year in that regard for satellite wins. But that's not the, that's not the form. That's not the, that's not normality. That's not that's not what anything in bike racing is right now. You need that factory backing. And the sad reality is right now is that. Yeah, at at, at the moment, there's no real chance of of a satellite team that has enough firepower to beat what's coming out of a factory. That's just how it is. And no factory would ever really let that happen because, well, they don't want... They don't want to t- take credit for somebody else's win. They want the factories to put it on their social media that yeah, we have a bike that won this, this and this, not the satellite team. Like so tech like if VR had their way, they would never let Tech Free win a win a Minamoto GP title, for example. As good as Johan you know, Zarco may have been in Qatar. But it's one of those things where as it stands right now, you're not gonna have a satellite win. So you need a factory. That's just how it is right now in by Racing, because more and more are getting back involved in motorsport now.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um
1: Yeah, we'll follow that story with
0: interest as it goes on because I don't think we've heard the last of that from Altea as they try and find themselves a strong package for 2018. Um, We've praised one Spaniard in Jordi Torres. Let's praise another Dre um, in Xavi Forest, who um, did a great job on the opening weekend of the season in Australia at Phillip Island where he had a couple of top sixes and looked like he had genuine podium pace uh, for a lot of that weekend. Um, And he deserves a lot of credit here too for finishing sixth in race two uh, at Aragon despite... An uncomfortable experience, shall we say, at the end of race one.
1: Yeah, comfortable experience. And uh, yeah, just to say the least, um, to quote one of my old favourite YouTube channels, uh, the, the show, Is It A Good idea to Microwave This? Nobody likes roasted nuts. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, I have to applaud Xavi for holding on to the bike for as long as he did, despite yeah. the fact that there was a raging inferno he going on. Like on a fireball. Like, yeah, he was literally sitting on a fireball. Like, like, <laughs> it was like—it's not like it was Taylor McKenzie who he saw a couple of years ago, where he just hopped off the thing as soon as he could. For yeah. a fire. No, Zavi held on to that damn thing for as long as he possibly could. Props <laughs> to the fireproof levers—they are clearly very effective, given that he was almost barbecued and he still came back the next day and, and rode a very good race too. Do you see? need to stop catching fire? Quite frankly, um, yeah. I had a chance last year. Yeah, I know these Patagali's are quick, but like these fires, they're they're not exactly what you call ideal, to say the least. But uh, props to Zavi for for you know only you know. Being as safe as he possibly could, despite the fact there was a raging inferno going on underneath him. Again, I would not have blamed him if he if he jumped off that thing as soon as he possibly could. But uh, no, he, he he rode it out to safety and then again came back the next day and had a fantastic race too. So props to Zavi, he's a braver man than me. Yes,
0: is. <laughs> he is. It, it reminds me of um, an old Formula One moment back in 2009 with um, with Rubens Barrichello in the Brawn, where he's uh, at Spa on the last lap, his his engines catch his fire. And um, Jock Clear, his engineer, comes to the radio and says, Rubens, you're on fire. And Rubens is like, thanks. He goes, no, you're on fire, like properly on fire. <laughs> it was one of those where Chevy Forage actually was having a very, very good weekend. Um, so he'd be excused for being told, hey, you're on fire, mate. But he actually genuinely was um, last weekend at Aragon. But yeah, he came back the next day despite some... Uh, yeah, he must have been feeling slightly, slightly sore in a few areas, one particular sore area, uh, and came out to finish sixth on the Sunday. So so props to him um, for that. Here's how the Aragon weekend finished then. Race one went to Jonathan Ray um, by a pretty comfortable four seconds at the end, but that doesn't tell the story given that his main rival fell a lap from home. Malcolm Landry taking second. Tom Sykes third. That's his third straight third place in race one. So that's three weekends in a row now where Sykes has gone without a lap of finishing on race to your pole and blown it without a lap from home. Um, from no fault of his own this time though he's promoted to third Lowe's got the race to pole for fourth ahead of Vandermark and Torres uh, Leandro Macado, who's probably one of the unsung heroes of the weekend given that it was his first ride of the season because uh, he's been injured from pre-season he's riding for the IOTA team um, who were clearly so skinned that they decided not to replace Mikado for the first two rounds while he was injured. He's on an iota Aprilia, and he beat the Milwaukee Aprilias in both races. Mikado um, yeah. getting 7th in race 1, head of Eugene Laverty on the Milwaukee bike. Then came Bradle, who had his best weekend so far in World Superbikes, beating Hayden in both races. Uh, he was ninth in race 1 with Hayden 10th. Camier, who had another disastrous start to the weekend, with very little running prior to the races. Kamiya got 11th in race 1 on the MV Augusta. Race 2, uh, Davies beating Ray this time with Melandry 3rd, Sykes in 4th. Uh, then came Vandermark in 5th. Uh, Alex Laws, as mentioned, had that false neutral, which saw him crash. He ended up 12th. Uh, Xavi Forres getting 6th ahead of Torres and Mikado again beating Laverty. They were 8th and ninth. And Camilla into the top 10 this time in 10th place. Then came Ramos, Brattle, Lowe's, Krumanaka, and Julian Simón. The former 125 champion who replaced the injured Lorenzo Savadori. He got points in both races. Savadori, of course, who had that horrendous crash at Thailand where the bike leaked some oil on his rear tire and sent him skywards. Um, he's still not recovered from that, and he missed both races at Aragon. We hope to see him back at Assen um, in three weeks' time. Uh, now, on to World Supersport then. Um, this is Supersport 600, incidentally. We'll come <laughs> on to the 300 class in a little bit, which had its first race of the weekend. First race ever. <laughs> Uh, in its history at aragon last weekend but um it was the third world super sport race of the season dre and um we've had two pretty back crazy races as we call them in uh, world super sports so far this season turns out we're three from three
1: yeah turns out we're three for three this was another hectic weekend from from, from the qualifying and whatnot it was all sorts of just crazy Behavior really, um, for example, Julius Dzel not even getting into Super Superpole two and having to start from thirteenth, etc. Um, it, it was another one of those crazy weekends. We had a big leading battle at the front, and uh, yeah, multiple leaders back and forth everywhere, multiple crashes, incidents, you name it. This race had it. We're free for free for batshit crazy, and Super Sport is. Is, is, is determined to put on as good a show as the big boys. It's it's uh it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's
0: glorious, <laughs> it's glorious. this year. World I'm absolutely yes. loving it. It's 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 almost it's not a championship that I've really paid a lot of attention to in the past, pretty much because it's just Keen and glues, glues basically, well, and the rest are living in it. Uh, but this season is fantastic, and um, and yeah, just to to, to point, it, it kind of all started on Friday where we had rain in uh, the afternoon. It kind of started to rain just towards the end of Superbike FP2. Um, Which meant that Super Sport FB2 was a washout. And as a result, given that the Super Pole sessions are cut off after Friday's two sessions, um, it was only the Free Practice 1 session that set the field for Super Pole, which meant that we had the championship leader, Robbie Rolfo, in Super Pole 1, Luca Mahias in Super Pole 1. Caracasulo, the Thailand winner in Super Bowl 1, Cluzel in Super Bowl 1, Kyle Ride was in Super Bowl 1, Anthony West was in Super Bowl 1, Luke Stapleford was in Super Bowl 1, and it goes on. It was probably the most loaded first session ever and only two advanced out of that session. Robbie Rolfo, keeping the dream alive, he got through all that to take a a spot (laughs) in Super Bowl 2. Mahias did the same. He got through to Super Bowl 2, which meant that the likes of Caracasulo and Cluzel had to start on the fifth row of the grid. Um, for the race itself on the Sunday into Super Bowl 2 and Jacobson PJ Jacobson who was quickest on Friday he took pole position ahead of the returning Keelan Sahuag who despite not having ridden for three months still puts it second on the grid um, ahead of Sheridan Marais uh, Luca Myas came through to, finish, uh, to take fifth on the grid having got through Super Bowl 1 um, his nearest championship rival, or Rolfo's nearest championship rival, I should say, Iki the qualified in seventh place, um, with Rolfo just ahead of him in sixth. Into the race itself then, and I guess the key moment of this, Dre, came not indeed with what happened, the the fight for the Wings, we'll come on to that in a bit, but really what happened midway through, where Federico Caracasillo had made good progress, got himself into that leading group, and yet he looped it at turn one, his second crash in three races, and whereas Philip Island he took out Cruzel, the championship contender, this time he took another one. The returning Suffoaglu had nowhere to go.
1: Yeah, Suffoaglu was like a it and then he's 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 drifting wide towards that turn that turn to apex, and Keenan has got nowhere to go. The bike is, is is sideways on the ground at this point. He falls over the top, and he may have actually re hurt himself a little so bit on that one bad guy who
0: Didn't need crash. It was him
1: no exactly he was already probably not at 100% to begin with given he's coming back from that from that nasty hand injury and he's had he's had to fall on it to protect himself um uh, instinctively after uh, being collected essentially by Karakasulo's fallen bike and uh yeah, like Keenan's season is really not going according to plan here. And now he might have a threat that nobody really saw coming in Lucas Mahias as well. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, just just an awful bit of luck for Keenan there. His season has not even gotten going yet. And now every, all, all the rivals we were expecting to score points are now starting to score points. And that might be a problem too. <laughs>
0: mm, yeah, it is. And um, yeah, we ended up with a three-way fight for the win at the end of it between uh, <laughs> Luca Mahaeus and uh, the aforementioned Sheridan Marais, um which made it a tricky one for the commentators, with two very similar-sounding names on very similar-looking yep. bikes, um, and P.J. Jacobson on the MV. Now we talked earlier about how factory teams don't want their bikes to be beaten by older bikes. We very nearly yep. had it at the weekend because Sheridan Marias is on the old Yamaha R6 um, yep. for the for the Calio Racing Team. He's the teammate to <laughs> Nicky Tooley uh, at the cameo uh, the Calio team. Um, Luca Mahias is on the brand new full fat factory Yamaha R6 for the factory team. And they very nearly got beaten by Marias on the old bike. Mahias just
1: picked him one corner out. One quarter out, a fantastic cutting down the inside move from Mahias into into the final quarter. It's the kind of quarter where you could take multiple lines through it if you know what you're doing. And Marias was able to just sneak underneath and carry the momentum through, winning by 14 thousandths of a second, which is basically a foot, so say so to speak, um, for Marias on that one. It was a tremendous last move. But again, Marias did a fantastic job on that, on that year-old bike. He was in control for the majority of that race. And again, if, if you were, if you hadn't known any better, you would not have guessed that uh, that was last year's R six on there. Um, but Horace did a fantastic job.
0: Yeah, brilliant job, brilliant job. His <laughs> teammate truly, by the way, who was second in the championship of the weekend, he had a crash, didn't finish, um, so he didn't score, so he's lost ground in the championship. We'll tell you the standings in a second. Um, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right on, on Mahias because he he recognised that because of course Aragon's one of those circuits where the finish line is very close to the final corner. Um, so it's not like that That move wouldn't have worked at a place like Qatar, where you've got a long, long run out of the last corner, and he recognised that if he could just get out of that final corner ahead, he'd probably make it to that line first, um, because, of course, he got out of that last corner ahead, and then Marias was just reeling him back in, and, of course, if the finish line had been another sort of 10 metres further down the road, then Marias would have probably won the race, um, but Marais brilliantly tactically judged to to recognize that, that if he'd just gone out of that last corner ahead, he'd probably get to the line first and beat Marias to the finish. Uh, And he did that, as you say, by 14,000ths of a second. Um, Jacobson got third. He just didn't have the top end on that MV to really really make a play um, for the win ahead of those two Yamahas, which just had a little bit more on him down that long back street. And Cluzel on the Honda, which didn't blow up this time and didn't get hit by another bike. So Cluzel, despite being... Knocked out in Super Bowl 1, having to start 13th on the group. Came through to 4th, and as you say, with Sofogo not scoring, his expected title contenders, Jacobson and Cluzel, are now starting to get those points on the board. Cluzel getting his first of the year. Dre, you may be muted.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My bad, I did it again. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like at least once an episode now. It's really annoying when I leave my microphone muted at one point. But yeah, Clizel needed a break, and I'm glad he finally got it. That was a really good performance of Clizel to come through from 13th on the grid to finishing fourth. Superb result, and it's shame he didn't have the time to run at the front, and again, he was the victim of that ridiculously stacked qualifying session. But um, yeah, Clizel needed points badly, and I'm glad he finally got a clean break and got that fourth place and took home 13. Very viable, very valuable points um, because yeah he needed it for the title race and that's the thing the blessing of this season for him has been that hey he may not have scored but the only person that really has benefited from this whole crazy first quarter of the season really has been Robbie Rolfo and, and Mahias so yeah you know take the 30 boys where you can get them
0: absolutely and um to finish off on world super sport we have to talk about this guy because i think we're adopting him now as our Bite lives actual sort of favorite rider now in world super sport the dream is still alive draper robbie <coughs> and rolfo who came out of he, he didn't he didn't get a lap in on friday because he was his he was last after free practice one it was wet in p2 so he didn't get a lap in there so he had to start he was actually quickest in free practice 2 because it was wet it didn't count for super pole so he had to go through this first session. He made it through against the likes of Carcasulo and Cuzel. Um uh, got himself into super Bowl 2 and qualified 6th. Um, and finished 6th in the race, 10 valuable points and even though he's lost the championship lead he's only 5 off the lead now.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, they, like Ralpho's not going
0: away the right like,
1: old the age like of 36. The right pole age of 36. Rolfo seems to have he is- He's discovered the fountain of youth yeah. at this point. It's 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 very impressive what he's doing for a man of his age on a on a, a very very talented super sport field like with the likes oh, of Cluzel and a customer a customer MV <laughs> with the likes of PJ Jacobs who's on the factory bike Cluzel who's on a Honda and then you've got obviously Keenan the greatest ever in that category and oh, who's the like who's it, yeah who's a prime title contender, Robbie Friggin Rolfo right now. Fantastic. It's inspiring stuff to see Robbie Rolfo, to see him that high up in the field. I hope it, I hope it continues because he's not going away right now. It's great.
0: No, the Leicester City of bike racing. Uh, Robbie Rolfo. God love him. <laughs> uh, let's hope he can keep it up. Here's how the championship looks there. Myers takes the lead of it now. Um, with 45 points, 5 clear of Rolfo in 2nd. Uh, Marias up to 3rd, from 10th to 3rd with that 2nd place at the weekend in Aragon. Uh, he's on 34, so he's 11 off the lead. Then comes Carl Wright, who stays in 4th. He came from way back on the grid to finish 8th. Um, he was 18th on the grid, was Carl Wright, he was one of those that didn't make it out of Super Bowl 1. Yes, he was. 18th on the grid, up to 8th for Carl Wright. Um, so another great showing for the young Brit. Uh, Thule, who failed to score, drops to fifth. He's on 27, so he chose the leader by 18. Jacobson is up to six. That's a climb of six places. Uh, Caracasulo drops from third to seventh. Um, he's only got the 25 points that he got in Thailand. He looped it at the other two races. Uh, Dekka that the the, uh, Wild Card, he was second to Karakasulo there. He's still eighth in the points on 20. So top eight covered by 25 points. So any of the top seven, given that Kraizat's not going to race again, any of the top seven could lead Aston next round as championship leader, um, which is incredible. Wagner is ninth. Aiden Wagner, the Aussie, he's ninth in the points despite not scoring at the weekend. Anthony West, who didn't score, but did take part at Aragon, Unfortunately, his bike barbecued itself in Super Bowl. Um He's still 10th in the championship after that podium at the first round. Then comes the Japanese Watanabe and Akubo, who are 11th and 12th. And Kuzel is now on the board. He is 13th in the championship, on 13 points. He trails the championship leader, Mohias, by 32 points. And Safuoglu Dre, who now trails, obviously, by 45, having still not got off the board. Um, when he came back for the start of this Aragon weekend, we could still argue he championship favorite, given that his rivals hadn't really taken advantage, but... That lead is starting to stretch out now, given that he's made his return and still not scored. He's now got a 45-point gap to make up on Mahayas, who might not actually be going
1: away. Yeah, Mahayas actually looks like he's a top three-level rider in the class right now. Again, if, if he was in the leading pack when his engine blew up in Thailand too, Mahayas could have very easily have had 70 points by now. So when you look at a situation like this and you go, "Oh wait. Keenan's gonna have to probably win five or six races to even have a chance at this title now. Yeah, well, because Mahias eight, is eight, going to right. go. Yeah, like when Mahias is not going away, he's 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 scoring podiums and he's scoring high-ranking results when he is got a healthy bike around him. So as it stands right now, yeah, Mahias might be the big threat here. <laughs> yeah, he might well be championship
0: favourite right now, given that he's got twenty, he's got nineteen points on Jacobson. He's got 32 on Cluzel and 45 on Safuoglu. Um so we may have a point where the three of them, it's kind of like Rossi and Lorenzo MotoGP next last season, where they just neither of them could really give chase to Marquez because they kept beating each other up. Um, we might get that kind of scenario this season if, if neither one of the three can put a consistent run together, and the less consistent it is, the more mixed up it is. That now favours Mahias and Rolfo, doesn't it, at the front who've got the points. Um, if they can just if the field keeps getting mixed up and they keep getting consistently t- sort of top six results, that might well um, stand them in very good stead this season. Um, next round, as I say, World Super Sport supports all of the World Super Sport rounds with the exception of Laguna Seca. Um, so the next round of that is an assin, um at the end of April. Um, Brand-new class debuted at Aragon last weekend. The Supersport 300 World Championship made its debut. It's long-awaited debut at Aragon. Um, First-ever win went to the Dutchman, Scott Deru, in a three-bike fight. Just one covering the top three across the line. Um, It was a very, very close finish in World Supersport 300. Um, We we need to give this time, don't we, Dre? This new class to sort of let it play out and let it sort of um, establish itself. But as a first impression, what did you make of it?
1: i thought it was decent i thought it was decent i didn't realize just how unpowerful these bikes were to only have 40 horsepower so yeah i I did think they looked slow on television but at the same time i mean at the same time yes they have barely any power at all and two well aragon is huge it's an it's an enormous racetrack where even the fastest bikes in the world are barely doing it in in a minute 50 or so so yeah, it's, it's pro- it probably wasn't the most ideal showcase in the world for a brand new series, especially one with a lack of power in it and one that's going to be about smaller bikes like Yamaha, like R3s, for example. But despite that, like... It was a good show, especially from the leading group. I'm I'm glad we had a good battle full at the front. Um, It's a shame that a lot of the field was so disjointed, but again, this was the first ever race weekend for these guys competitive. There's always going to be guys that adapt slower than some others, and I think in time, I think it will shake itself out, and we'll get something quite decent here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think so, and yeah, because I I posted on Twitter on the Monday, um, the day after the race, that um, it was a good first weekend, but You know, stuff to improve on, and Greg Haynes actually actually did tweet me um, to say, What would you improve? I was like, Well, um, I think a lot of the stuff that I wouldn't necessarily improve, I think it will just improve naturally over time um, in this class. Because the first thing that struck me, like you, was these bikes look slow. Um, When I was watching it in Super Pole, but I think obviously when the bikes were running together in a race, they just raced a lot better, and you didn't really notice it. Um, but, yeah, they looked really slow. Like, where, where the World Superbikes, sort of, on those, sort of, sideways panning shots, the World Superbikes just whiz through the frame. The Supersport 300 bikes were almost like a, watching a cruise ship go past, um, which, which wasn't a great look. Um, and that long back straight at Aragon doesn't really showcase them too well. And I think on circuits like Assen, Imola, Donington Park later this season, um, perhaps Mizano as well, Hereth in particular, I think that those bikes will showcase the Supersport 300s a lot better where there's less straight line and much more corners. Uh, a much more sweeping corners where the bikes can follow, yeah. and we, we, we get to see the best of these bikes um, in a Super Sport 300 race. Um, I also think the bikes will naturally just get quicker as the riders blend them. Because um, it really did strike me how sort of slow the lap times were. Like, I think the Moto 3 lap record is sort of like a 159, something like that. But the, the Super Sport 300s were doing a 212. Yeah. Um, around, so they're basically doing what the Moto 3 bikes were doing in the wet around Aragon um back in 2012 which is 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 a very very big gap but again it's their first race i agree with you the gap between the front and the back of the field was way too big um and and that's the kind of i was kind of thinking to myself this on monday i was thinking well how strong is the field naturally going to be here because if there's any rider of world championship level at this kind of age they're going to be racing in Moto3 if they're going to be racing anywhere, aren't they? So they're not just going to be sat on the sidelines waiting for a Sport 300 class to, to appear and, and racing that. So I think we need to give this class a bit of a chance in that it's going to take a couple of years really for the riders. Supersport 300 have got to be identifying riders at like 11, 12, 13 years old now, haven't they? To get into <laughs> Supersport 300 in the future. Um, because any rider that's 16 or 17 right about now that is on that top tier level, is going to be in Moto3. They're like the bulliger Mia uh can it etc uh they're not going to be raised they're not going to be sat around waiting for Super supersport 300 are they so so you're pretty much going to have the best of the rest of that age group in Super Sport 300 right now um so yeah. so i think that's kind of again you have to kind of factor that in when we look at the, the gap between the front and the back because the guys at the back were sort of 10 seconds a lap slower than the guys at the front which is just way too big um for, for any class but again give it time and that may change one of the criticisms I'd have of Super Sport 300, I don't think they should be using the Super Pole format. I, I really don't think they should be using that um, because it just does not give these kids enough track time. It, it really doesn't. They, no, they, they, they weren't helped by the fact that Free Practice 2 on Friday afternoon was rained off. Um, so all they get in Super Sport 300 is two half-hour practice sessions on a Friday and then they're into Super Pole. That's it. And Super Bowl is two 15-minute sessions. So if you get knocked out in Super Pole 1, or you're in Super Superpole two. You're only gonna have two, three, or 30 thirty-minute practice sessions, and then a fifteen-minute qualifying, and then that's it. And then you're then you're racing uh, on the yeah. Sunday. And I, it was no, it was no coincidence to me that the race winner and the pole sitter came out of Super Pole one in Scott DeRue. Um, he got through the first session, then bit on pole position and won the race. Uh, and I just wonder whether, because he'd had more laps than anyone else on the bike, whether that just really helped him. Um, at the weekend. So, for me, if I was running World Super Sport 300, I would just get rid of the Super format and just give them a 45 minute qualifying session. And just, just, give, them, just, just give them all the time they need to learn these bikes. Because that's what they need right now. They need time to learn these new machines. Um, and it was basically the riders that learned the quickest who had the advantage at uh, the weekend. So, a very, very good first impression for World Super Sport 300 because the race was brilliant. Um, we had a, a, a race won by W by 47 thousandths of a second. Um, yep. with, with Mika Perez third on uh, the Honda one off the win um, so there are definitely positives to take from this I guess another positive Dre from Supersport 300 was the 1-2-3 across the line were Daru on a Kawasaki Ninja 300 Danny Valle on a Yamaha R3 and Mika Perez on a Honda CBR 500 so one thing they've certainly achieved is parity
1: between the different bikes So good sign. It's a good sign, but God, you were on a terrain right now. Holy crap. I I can't, by the way, let let me know, I didn't disagree with a single thing that Lewis said on that one. Um, Again, track time is the most important thing for these guys. If you want to see an established series break out here and you want to see who's really good and who isn't, you should be giving these youngsters as much time on track as possible, and you let the natural balance of the field shake itself out a bit more. I mean, seeing a guy come through and take pole from Super Pole 1 and then win the race probably isn't the best advertisement for your series going forward. It's like, oh wait, the guy that qualified originally in 13th came through? That's not a good look. Um, So yeah, ultimately, I think think you're right. I think they should just have a straight 45-minute qualifying session, give them as much track time as they can, tell the teams to go out there, put a race tire on the bike and go, you know what? Do laps. Do mm-hmm. laps. Get as many laps in as you can, basically. Do a racing if it comes down to it. You know, Establish establish what you've got, because it's all a matter of learning. That's the, that's the nature of a brand new series. I hope they were given a, 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 a healthy amount of testing time. If not, give them more of it, because you don't want to see races ultimately every week, where sure, you might have a battle for the lead, but there's four guys that are better by 10 or 11 seconds and the other 15 behind them. That's not necessarily what you want for a series either. Because I do think they were aiming for something like Moto3 here. Yeah. And they might miss the mark if they keep up with things like that.
0: Yeah, but... they they, they kind of got it at the front, didn't they? With that, that four-way fight for the win. Because uh, Borja uh-huh. Sanchez was just point eight off the win in fourth. Uh, it's just it's, it's funny though even even though it's not Moto3 it's Super Sport 300 we still have three Spaniards in the top four um, in, in Super 300 so um, yeah that's one thing they've picked up from Moto3 the Spaniards look very very good in it um, although they were beaten by a Dutchman at the weekend um, but yeah I, I totally agree give them a 45 minute qualifying session give them track time because again in, in a place like Aragon where they're doing 2 minute 12 laps that, that, that Super Sport 1 session that's what 6 laps if you're lucky you, that's if you're one of the first out of the pit lane you're going to get 6 laps in yeah, five, um, which is nothing, and even in <laughs> those thirty-minute practice sessions, you're going to get maybe ten or twelve laps because you're going to have to come in the pits at some point to make changes to your bike, and then and then you've got to go back out again. So yeah, I think obviously not every circuit is as long as Aragon, um, which again means that it will naturally improve. As I say, places like Donington Park and Imola uh, and Haref, I think and, and Acid next up, I think these SuperSport 300 bikes will, will go a lot better around there. And and I think as I say. As they all learn the bikes and get time on these bikes, the field will naturally close up a bit. Um, but yeah, as a, as, a, as a first impression, I thought it was great, but I think there is stuff to work on for Super Sport 300. And if we give it time, I think that stuff will shake itself out. Um, the result of that first race, as I mentioned, Scott DeRue the winner um, by 47 thousandths of a second from Danny Valle uh, for Hal Courier racing on the Yamaha R3. Mika Perez last year's uh, European Junior Cup champion uh, taking third on the World Sport race day's Honda. Then Borja Sanchez fourth for Hal Courier Racing on the second of the Yamahas um, in fourth. Uh, Lichiardi, the uh, Belgian, was fifth on a Yamaha R3 ahead of Paolo Gracia, the first of the Team Italia riders, in sixth on the Kawasaki Ninja 300. Um, Dugrotola another of the Italians, taking seventh. Uh, Lorero, the South African, eighth. Um, Jackie, uh, Giacomini, the Italian, second of the Team Italia, is in ninth. And Annette Carrasco of Moto3 fame, taking tenth, uh, the Spanish girl on the Kawasaki ETG racing bike, um, another disappointing outing for the factory Yamaha team uh, in this one. Of course, they won Super Sport Three, uh, Super Six Hundred. Um, very nearly got podiums in World Superbike. Said so they had two riders um, fighting at the front in the Super Sport Three Hundred race, and both crashed out of the leading group. Um, uh, one of them, Mikita Kalanin, who came through Super Bowl One and put it on the front row, he crashed out of the leading group towards the end. Um, so a mixed weekend for the Pata Yamaha team across all of the classes um, because they finished a close second in Stock 1000 as well. That race won by the Italian Michael Rubin-Rinaldi on the Aruba Ducati. Uh, Up next then, we're going to look at the opening round of the British Superbike Championship, which got underway at Donington Park. So stay with us here on Bike Live. Okay, let's talk BSB then. Donington Park hosted the opening round of the British Superbike Championship, and uh, boy, we've missed BSB. Boy, we've missed things yes. like uh, Jack Burnicle calling uh, Peter Hickman, Keith Hickman, and Josh Brooks. <laughs> what do you call Josh Brooks? He called he called Josh Brooks the wrong name as well. He called Josh Brooks Jeff uh, in race yes. one. Um, uh, never change, Jack. Never change um but but what we got was um well we got a a couple of races without the main protagonist in it dre um shaky burn who um first of all we didn't get a qualifying session which was a shame because we had oil dumped all over the track on on saturday um and tragic events as well which we'll come on to at the end of the show um which overshadowed things on, on the saturday um so which, it meant the grid was set by the free practice times over the course of Friday and Saturday. Shaky Burn, of course, didn't start it uh, because of a crash down the of curbs on Sunday and um, British Superbikes doing basically the right thing, Dre, and looking out for its riders and basically pulling Shaky Burn out of there.
1: I'm very glad they did. Um, we talked about this in, in depth on our previous alliteration on, on Downforce Radio where we talked about the little Petrucci at Aragon last year where... If, going by all accounts he it looked like he'd been allowed to continue with a concussion and that could have been extremely dangerous and potentially fatal um so I'm glad that so uh, they 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 gave Shaky the once over found out they had a concussion like symptoms and they pulled him from the weekend I'm glad they did that because I rather not I rather have that because figures a lot of guys crashed this weekend there was a lot of, of riders making mistakes and if Shaky drops on his head and as an accident on one of those two races, he could die. Second impact syndrome. We mentioned it before on this show. So I'm very glad that uh, BSB ultimately did the sensible thing and pulled Shaky out of the weekend for his own good. Because I think Shaky was was irritated that he couldn't ride. But for the good of him and the safety of himself and others around him, I'm glad they didn't run him for the weekend.
0: Yeah, and he's, uh, this is one of those areas where the, the showdown format allows him to do this as well. It allows him to miss around. <laughs> Um, because he can just make up those points later on and as long as he gets in that top six by by the time uh, Silverstone comes around, he, he's still okay. Um, so Shaky Burn will hope to see back um, on Easter weekend when BSP returns at the Brands Hatch circuit when they're on the Indy layout. Um, and yep. you know, Brand Hatch is basically Shaky Burn territory. He is his home round, so expecting to look very, very good there. Um, in his absence, it was kind of the stage, stage was set for Leon Haslam to trying to take advantage and he took advantage to the absolute maximum didn't he a double win and he looked superb in both races
1: yeah he absolutely did um Leon Haslam won both races basically in a canter it was was very comfortable out of that Kawasaki is fast make no mistake it's still an excellent bike and Haslam just has this knack of putting the harder compound tire on the bike and being able to make it work he's so good at that and again he won both races and I don't think he had to work particularly hard to win either of them, Um, which was kind of almost like a subdued weekend, not only because of the fatal accident that we had earlier in the weekend, but also just the fact that the curiosity of where shaky would have, would have shook out in the field if he was able to run, because I, I fear that Ducati would have been right up the front in any case if Shaky was still on it at that point, it's a shame but that's what it is That's spike racing sometimes and um, props to Haslam for taking full advantage of the situation and bringing home 50 points
0: Yeah he did, he looked very very good in, in both races he just ended up, like both races kind of looked as if they were Shaky up to be kind of head to head battles, he had different opponents in the two races, it was Luke Mossy in race one and just the longer the race went on, just the stronger Haslam got where the other guys just couldn't quite last the pace with him um, as the races went on and um, yeah, it's kind of a, a, an issue with the showdown format where over shaky burn, who may well be his main rival. He's actually not gained 50 points. He's, he's gained 10, hasn't he? He's gained 10 podium points. Um, but that was kind of what undid Haslam last season is that he didn't have as many podium points as shaky. And then he lost those group points early on in the showdown when he crashed. Yep. So even if Shaky's not around and even if shaky does come back to make the showdown, Haslam's got to bank these podium points and bank the big.
1: Yep, exactly. So again, Shakey, like Haslam's just got to take these where they can get them, quite frankly. And again, it, it's a it's an easy ten podium point advantage right there, which is again two race wins basically. So hey, if I'm Haslam, you got to take these opportunities where you can get them. And you know, Shaky will be will be mad that, to a degree that he didn't get this, and it's, it's a shame that the showdown format means that. You know, Hazem's not going to take a mega advantage away from a guy missing an entire weekend and Hazem doing the double. If this was Worlds, we'd be, we'd be looking at a totally different conversation here. Mm. But that's the nature of the showdown format. So, you know, to each your own, you know, one hand giveth the other take away, for ways. I said to Lewis on Twitter at the time, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, just using the format to advantage you. And again, Shaky will bounce back at Brandt Hatch and, you know, we'll see how the, how the true state of the field plays out from there. Yeah,
0: he will. And um, I guess one thing that the JG Speedvick Kawasaki team can take for the weekend, over and above Leon Haslam's double win, um, is that Luke Mossi is is looking a real contender, as we kind of thought he would um, in 2017, Dre. He's second in the championship at the moment, um, 19 points by Leon Haslam, but following his teammate home for a 1 2 in that first season, equaling his career best. He's had one second before uh, in BSP. That was Alton Race 3 last (sighs) season in the triple header in the summer round. Um, I think Mossy genuinely does look like that kind of guy now. That he's going to get wins as the season goes, and he's looking a real threat now.
1: He he absolutely is. I mean, again, he's basically on the factory Kawasaki now, and not the satellite department with JG Speedfit jumping over. Basically, um, it's a very, very good pa- package. It's it's a package that's more than good enough to win multiple races a season. So, he, one has to think Mossy will get his chance at some point. And it's a shame he had his his race two wasn't quite as good um but race 1 he was he was in the front he was I, mean, I know haslam kind of broke off towards the end there in the second half of that race so maybe mossy might have to work in his ultimate pace a little bit more um, maybe push that kawasaki a little bit more and see where he can find a, a couple of attempts more but he's got something there and if he can come out straight away first first weekend of the season and score a podium and you know have top fives in both road Ro- Ro- races that's a very positive sign for mossy
0: yeah, it is really a really positive sign. And he's, as I say, he's one of those guys that's looking to make the showdown. So he's already established himself in that top six and he's got some podium points in the bank as well to go with it with that second place uh, in race one. Um, second position in race two, though, um, went to uh, one of the international names that we spoke about last week, who's returned or moved to the British Superbike Championship from World Superbikes, and um, I think we all thought this already, Dre, uh, before we even saw him turn a wheel, but God, it's good to have Josh Brooks back.
1: Yes, it's very nice to have Josh Brooks back. The overall. real Josh
0: Brooks back. I don't think we ever saw the real Josh Brooks in worlds, did we?
1: No, not really. Again, it was just—it just wasn't a good team for him at the time, and he could tell quite early on that Brooks was never going to stand out in that world's field given the, the BMW. BMW package he was on. But uh, yeah, in any case, it's great to have him back where he belongs in, B- in BSB on, on a Yamaha, where he will be a contender. I have no question about that. That Yamaha is fast. Make no mistake. Um, again, I think they seem to have tire wear problems. Uh, I didn't notice that as the race would go so on. The, that him- the McCams' Yamahas did, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, like Ellison was 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 he, his pace was great at the start, but he, he dropped like a stone in the second half of the race. But again, like the, the Yamaha will work on this. We saw it two years ago when Brooks won his title, and maybe some of the confidence that Brooks had in the bike wasn't misled because, yeah, you, you, you could tell that um, that Yamaha is far and it, it will be a contender for sure, especially when Brooks who probably knows that bike better than anyone else on the planet, quite frankly. So when you factor all that in and you, you can see Brooks run very well in race two, especially, yes, yeah, it's, it's great to have him back at the top.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why that was that was always going to work, but I, I'd say I was surprised, not about you, Drew, but I was surprised to see Brooks taking it to Haslam so soon this season. Um, I, I just I, I kind of had a feeling in the back of my head that it would take a bit of time um, for that to work, given that he, he's a biker that he knows, but it's not a team that he knows. And it's a team in Anvil higher tag Yamaha, that's not used to running at the front um, in, in BSB. I mean, last season with Raspoli and, and Sean Winfield, they were, they were scraping into the points on a good day. Um, so for them to be running at the front straight away just shows that not only is Brooks back at his best and in, in tune with that bike, but the team is, is really improving because um, they're running up at a part of the field that they've never ran at before. Um, so, so credit to Amble high Tag as well, because Sean Winfield got his first points as well. He got points at the weekend yep. uh, in both races. Um, oh, he got points in race one, should I say. He got 15. So um, that team is doing a really, really good job um, for Josh Brooks. Uh, we also saw a couple of surprise podiums. As I say, we had Haslam taking two wins, Mossy second to him in race one, Brooks taking the fight to him in race two. Um, and as I say, two surprise names joining them on the podium. Or, or should we be surprised Ray, by Christian Eden getting a podium in race one, given that he always seems to in the early
1: rounds of a season. He did it last year where he led the championship for several races. Yeah, he's always been a good guy to get out of the blocks quickly and this year made no exception. A very strong weekend for Christian Iden. Again, i again, the question will be whether he was able to hold it down towards the showdown rounds, and maybe in the second half of the season, we'll see if he can keep that form going. But again, very strong performance from him there um, to get on the podium. Was it? In, it was just it was yeah. race one, of, one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: third and a fourth. For third and a fourth.
1: Yeah, very good result from him there. Uh, yeah, that's
0: how you that's how you lay the groundwork for, for trying to get into the showdown, get regular top top six results, um, which Absolutely. is what he has done so far. So yeah, much like last year, it's a case of can he sustain this? Can he keep this going? <laughs> Um, another guy who had two top six was Glenn Irwin, because he was sixth in race one, and then came from almost nowhere in that second race. He, he really came on strong late in the race, um, in a race where it looked like we were going to have a fight for the podium between the likes of Eden, Luke Mossy, um, James Ellison as well. And then Irwin came on and went on a tear towards the end and overtook a lot of them late in the race. And that should really set alarm bells ringing at the likes of J.D. Spieth at Kawasaki and the Yamaha teams. Given that Shaky Burns rather inexperienced teammate came flying through to third.
1: Yeah, that that was a, a dangerous looking sign there that Jacati have got something here because we don't normally associate Irma with those kind of performances, and he stormed through in the second half of that race, was running leading level pace with Haslam in the middle of the pack, siphoned his way through the field to get a podium at the end of the and end of the race too there. Very, very impressive stuff indeed. Um, from 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 Glenn Irwin, indeed. So if, if that's happening with Glenn on the second bike, and we all know he's nowhere near Shaky's level, if that's a thing, then Shaky is going to be right up there at the front, no question. But Absolutely. you could have probably guess that.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> we're good, even, though, even at the age of forty, um, but yeah, he is still that good. And yeah, we're not taking anything away from Glenn, Glenn Irwin with his with his podium here as well, because he he is he, he got a podium, I think, didn't he? At the, right at the end of last season at Brands, he he, he got his first podium uh, in BSB. Um, uh, on the weekend where Shaky won the title, but didn't really figure in any of the three races, and Erwin got a podium, um, so he's, he's definitely a, a rider that's got real, real ability because he was one of those guys, that like along with the likes of Rispoli and guys like that, that were running at the front of British supersport uh and Ride and Stapleford. Yeah. He was Erwin was racing with those guys at the same time and, and keeping them honest. So glenn Erwin is a class rider as well, and he will certainly, as time goes on, he'll I think he'll he'll be a front-running contender too. But as you say, he's not shaky. Um, very few people are. Um, so, um, so as well as Glen Owen's has done, you've got to feel that Shaky's going to be up there as soon as he returns from his injury and, and given it to concussion. We're expecting to be back for the next round. Um, Absolutely. at, at Brands hatch once he's had a little bit of rest, um, in a couple of weeks uh, on Easter weekend. <laughs> um, let's talk about a couple of the other international names then that have moved across from world Superbikes. Um, we've already covered Josh Brooks who returned and got a second place in race two. Um, <laughs> Sylvan Gintoli, bit of a mixed weekend, had a crash in race one, and of course, found himself victim to the BSB rules where you can't remount and restart when you crash, as you can in Worlds. Um, yeah. Not that he would have been able to anyway, I don't think, because the handlebar had snapped off um, his bike. Um, Cal Crutchlow may try that, but I don't think Sylvan Gintoli is going <laughs> to. Um, but he, he came back in race two to get seventh, um, which doesn't sound great, Dre, but. Do we kind of have to look at Gintoli and the Suzuki team in the same way we look at the Honda team, and that it's a brand new package and it's going to take a bit of time?
1: The Gintis homecoming tour is on delay until further notice until we <laughs> until we actually build the stage. It's it, it's a bit of a problem. Um, we've got to remember this is Suzuki's first competitive running on a brand new bike, um, so we know. Yeah, and no, 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 anywhere else either. Yeah, exactly. So this is this is this is basically a glorified test demo for this new bike. So. For is to finish in seventh place, all things considered, with some really top names ahead of him. That really isn't bad for a first competitive run They'll only get better as time goes on and they discover more about this bike because that was their first race weekend. So they'll only build on this for future reference they now have test data of themselves in a race they'll only get better as time goes on and i don't think seventh is really that bad a result given again that's right around the showdown sort of range and hey ginter's wasn't you know not top tier competitive speed but that's a solid result for their first time going again especially given it's ginter's first time in the class again for a good while so on the whole, I don't think they can take too much, you know, negativity away from that. I think that was a pretty solid first run, especially given, if it, by the looks of it, they've already got something better than the new Honda Fireblade. Yeah, <laughs> look at the, look at the guys that were ahead of him. Uh,
0: ahead of uh, Haslam, Haslam, Brooks. Erwin, in uh, these are, these <laughs> these, are, these aren't slow guys. Yeah, elite, uh, names. elite <laughs> names that are beating that are beating Stollan. So and and Juliano, Daniel Juliano, the other on on the on the Tyco BMW, of course, teammate to Eden who um, had such a good weekend. Giuliano less so. Um, he was 13th in race one. Is He was one of the guys who really did fade towards the end of the first race. Perhaps maybe he had tire issues. He then got 9th in second race, Giuliano. Part um, of was a little disappointed with that, given that this is a circuit that he has seen before. Um, of course, Worlds go to Donington because he got second last year to Sykes on on the Ducati around Donington Park. Um, so it's not like he's going to have the, the excuse of places like Cadwell Park and Knockhill that he hasn't seen before. Juliano, um, uh, but I guess it—if anything—it just serves to illustrate just how much strength and depth this series has. That a guy who has been <laughs> used to running at the front in World Superbikes turns in BSB and can barely scrape top ten.
1: Yeah, again, it's, again, BSB is not playing their field as I've said it before. Every bit as good as Worlds so in, in, in many aspects and. Davide has always had that elite level world superbike speed, but it's hard to translate in a field that's as stacked as this one. And it's not like the BMW isn't competitive, it's a competitive bike. It always has been. And the Tyco team has been, you know, in and around the showdown range for the last two or three years now. So it's going to take Davide some time to get used to the bike and get used to the to the series in general and you know he's going around tracks he hasn't really gone around for a good while but again Donington was on the world's calendar too so he knows he knows Donington well so i'm not saying it was a bad weekend from david it was, it was it was an okay first weekend from him but yeah it's more of a ringing endorsement for how just how good bsb is as a class
0: yeah he's uh he's gonna have to really work at it to to, to learn because obviously it's his first season on a bm as well cause he's used to running jucati so Absolutely. Um, there's a bit of a learning process to go for for Davide Giuliano. Um, here's how the weekend shaped out then. Haslam, the winner uh, of race one from Mossy and Eden. That was your podium. Uh, fourth, going to Peter Hickman, who's back on a BMW and going very, very well. Um, he took fourth in race one, ahead of James Ellison, who faded with tyre problems. Glenn Owen getting sick, the ahead of Josh Brooks on the Yamaha. Lost a couple of places on the final lap, um, which dropped him to seventh. Then came Michael Laverty on the second of the McCown's Yamahas in eighth. Ninth went to Jake Dixon on the Kawasaki and the top 10 uh, was completed by somebody because the championship standings aren't showing me. Um, second race went to Haslam ahead of Brooks this time. Brooks taking second place ahead of Glen Owen who came through to take his first dry podium in a British superbike race. Um, fourth position in the end going to Eden completing his solid weekend ahead of Luke Marcy who couldn't quite match his race one exploits and James Ellison taking a sixth position. Um, Jason O'Halloran getting two top tens on the Honda. He was the guy that finished 10th in Race 1, and that was about as good as it got for the brand-new Honda yeah, Fireblade much. on its debut British Superbike weekend. They're another team that I think we're going to have to keep an eye on if they improve as the season goes on. It'll take them a bit of time to learn that new bike. How good was that livery, though? That's what we were saying oh, yes. about that new Honda, the red and silver on that new the Honda line. Fireblade in BSP. It is an absolute beaut. Um, so, so we see it somewhere near the front as the season goes on. Right, let's do the news uh, before we go um, and talk World Superbikes again because there's a couple of news stories to tell you about World Superbikes. First of all, from testing because they tested, they stayed on Aragon on the Monday um, for the post-race test, um, and for the first time I think this season we saw Tom Sykes on top of a session because he beat Adam Ray. Um, uh, Kawasaki won two in the test. Both of them were doing 149s around Aragon, which is uh, kind of terrifying for the field. Um, but uh, Sykes taking the honours in that one ahead of. Um, Jonathan Ray, his teammate Chas Davies, not quite hitting the heights of Sunday, he ended up third overall um, on the day Um, his teammate Marco Melandri having a crash um, on that test day, so um, not the greatest of days for the Ducati, Alex Lowe was also having a crash on the Monday, he was sixth overall um, with his teammate Michael Vandermark just uh, ahead of him up in fourth, um, but uh, Kawasaki continuing to just show their strength at the moment in World Superbikes. Um, given how well they went over the race weekend, they were one and two in the test as well at Aragon last weekend. Um, other World Superbike news, and it surrounds discipline and the um, decision that MotoGP made a couple of weeks ago to uh, ditch penalty points in um, in their championships um, in favour of a kind of a more uniform structure of penalties. Um, world Superbikes have done the same; they've ditched penalty points as well, and I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to have as much an effect, Dre, in Worlds two points because we seem to get less penalties. Um, in Worlds. Um, but what do you think of this in general, ditching the penalty points? I mean, it, it kind of the whole system kind of got exposed a bit when they kind of just gave Valentino Rossi as many penalty points as it took to give him a back of the grid penalty back at Valencia the year before last. Um, it didn't <laughs> seem as if there was a one size fits all penalty point system in place. So, in some ways, is it better the system scrapped altogether?
1: I think it is. I think it caused more problems than it was worth. Really, I mean, look at for example what happened with Carl Hanika, where he where he took out Guevara after a race intentionally and got five. Well, well, how, how was that a five point penalty? And how is this not as bad as Rossi doing something similar in actually in a race for three points? He's got, like how like what warrants how many points, etc. And when you like, I think you're giving the stewards too much power at that point. And at that point. If there's not consistency, we're going to have questions like like with football refereeing and like, like stewarding in any sport. Like, if you're not consistent with, with, with how you referee a game or how you discipline your talent, then, you know, we're going to have questions. And I had a lot of questions regarding, regarding the penalty point system and what warranted one point, what warranted two, three, five in some cases. So for me... I don't think it was worth the trouble. I think I don't think there was anything wrong with the old system. I think the stewards in MotoGP are some of the best in the world. And I think they've, most of the time, I think they've gotten it right when it comes to disciplining riders. For instance, like, like, like for example, with, with Cheney when you took out producing and you got a ride-through penalty. Like, I think, I've not really had very many times in MotoGP where I've looked at it and gone, oh, that was wrong, that was a terrible call. Like, they, technically speaking, they get it right most of the time anyway, so... Have the confidence in your stewards to, to to give out what they want to give out, not hide behind a flawed system. So for yeah. me, I think it's I think it's a good thing.
0: Yeah. So when you when you've got the penalty points system, you almost <laughs> like precedents get set, don't they? You almost like once you get once you give a penalty out, once you give another penalty points for one instant, you almost anytime you get something similar, you feel that that, that has to be the penalty. Uh, and, and no two incidents are the same in any any motorcycle race, unfortunately. You, you've got to judge each one on its merits. And I think just giving them just free reign of penalties to basically give out whatever they see fit to give out, I think will be a good thing um, for World Superbikes. They've followed the MotoGP structure. Um, MotoGP news as we look ahead to this weekend's Argentine Grand Prix at de Honda. We will be seeing Alex Rins, or certainly initially... Um, because he has been declared fit, um, whatever that means, for the Argentine Grand Prix, despite Dre breaking his ankle in a training crash. That doesn't sound like the kind of injury you get over in a week.
1: No, it isn't. Like a broken ankle, it that can if if if, if that's football, that can be weeks, that can be months, depending on how and how it's broken. So yeah, I mean that's that's a dodgy one. Luckily, ankles are not as bad in bike racing. I don't think anything's as so bad as bike racing, because these riders are yeah. idiots uh, <laughs> that will ride through anything. But, um, yeah, in any case, it, like that's not a one week recovery. That's a nasty injury. If that will happen to you or me, your foot will be in a cast for about a month. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, that's that's not an ideal injury for instance to take. Luckily, I think he'll only be operating a foot brake, so I don't think it'll be that bad. Just, um, he might want to be careful in how he exits the bike. Like, like Pray to God he doesn't crash this weekend, because if he does, oh boy, that, that could be all sorts of painful.
0: Yeah, pray to God that we don't have a repeat of last year and a flag to flag where he's got to jump off one bike onto another. Oh um, Lord! You might find that a little tricky. He might lose a bit of time in the pits if he has to do yeah. that. Um, this weekend. Um, um, let's get to the weekend then. And uh, we don't want to be one of those podcasts or one of those shows in MotoGP that instantly decides that straight away because we're talking MotoGP. We have to talk about Valentino Rossi. Um, but we're going to on this occasion, Drake, because he's reaching a milestone this weekend, a milestone that nobody has ever reached in Grand Prix history. Valentino Rossi this weekend races in his 350th Grand Prix. <laughs> um, as Chef's parents would say, he's reached Tree Fiddy Grand Prix uh, in MotoGP. Yes. Um, and. What a milestone! Um, wh- whatever we think of the guy, whatever we say about him, to race in that many races and still be arguably one of the top two, top three favorites to win the Grand Prix is one hell of an achievement.
1: Yeah, still a perennial contender, and he turned thirty-eight two months ago. That's that's unbelievable. And say what you will about Valentino, I not. I've never been anything short of in awe of what he's been able to achieve on a motorcycle what he's done for the sport and his impact will be everlasting in MotoGP for sure 350 Grand Prix I thought Alex Barros would have all those like most Grand Prix awards locked up for, for years or anything because he was still riding in the 2010s uh, at some point but um that is an unbelievable achievement from Valentino Rossi and he's showing no signs of slowing down I mean he's, he's going to get to to 400 by the time it's correct he's still got two more seasons left and, and that's if he doesn't want to resign so he's going to get close to 400 by the time it's all said and done so to put it into perspective i think the f1 all-time appearance record is i think it's 328 from rubens barricano don't quote me on that I'm, uh, that was purely from memory i'm pretty sure it's 320 something so yeah, for Rossi to have 350 Grand Prix to his name, and this is, I think, his 20th season in the top class or, 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 sorry, in all forms of bike racing that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So, a salute to Valentino on yet another ridiculous milestone in his career.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of feel like it won't be the last if Valentino uh, on his grip writer um, has, has <laughs> anything to do with it. Because, was it Philip Island 2014 where he won on his 250th start? Uh, Yes, he just he just has that knack of just marking these occasions with wins. So you just wonder whether he's going to do that because he's won in Argentina before. Yeah, um, a a couple of years ago, that famous race where he chased down Marquez. Um, So, um, yeah, this weekend's going to be an interesting one, isn't it, Drake? Because uh, in many ways, this is a Marquez track. We'll talk about Marquez in a second, but because this isn't a circuit that they test at regularly. um, So it's not like Maverick Vinales is any sort of Yamaha form around this place. Um, he went very well here last year on the Suzuki before he crashed on that bumper poor judgment, as, as you named it, at turn yes. one in the wet. Um, so it's, it's almost like we're starting again from zero, isn't it, with, with Vinales this weekend. Can he can match that same level of dominance that we saw throughout testing at a circuit that he's never ridden the Yamaha on before?
1: We'll have to wait and see. It's it's, it's, it's a total crapshoot. That's going to be the fun part of Vinales. We don't know how his pace will, will carry over into certain tracks. Um, on, on this top-tier bike for the first time. I and mean, Qatar is very much a very straightforward sort of circuit. Argentina is very technical, and it's one that Marquez loves. And, yeah, Marquez will definitely be the favourite going into this weekend, but Vinales is going, to be the wild, is going to be the wild card. He's going to be the X-Factor in this situation. I'm not sure how it's going to translate, but Yamaha doesn't tend to go that strongly around here. So say, I think... Lorenzo doesn't. Lorenzo certainly doesn't, and if Lorenzo's struggling, then chances are Vignanes might struggle too. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out, but... um this is a track that marks the Honda's issues quite well. So if, if Marcus can get the best out of the bike around here this weekend, he'll probably win. But if Vinayas can take a podium from here, he'll happily take it, I think.
0: Yeah, cause there's only one real big stop uh, around. <laughs> that's that back straight to sort of turn five, I think it is, um, after that yep. sort of tight, twisty first few corners, and then they go into the back straight. <laughs> the corner where Marcus and Rossi clashed uh, clashed together a couple of years ago, that corner. Um, that's the only real sort of corner that the Honda's likely to struggle at. Um, yeah. Um, so Yeah, I think Marquez will be okay because I had it explained brilliantly. I forget who it was. I think it was on the Paddock Pass, actually, um, the other week, where they explained the the issues with with Marquez and Honda and and the issues they had in Qatar where, you know, because their bike is so bad in acceleration, they're trying to make up so much time on the brakes, which is just ruining their tires, um, which is why you always see Marquez going for the harder front tire because he can't make the softer or the medium work because he's working it so hard trying to make up time on the brakes. Um, so he won't have to do much of that in Argentina um, which which may well help him and I guess, Dre, although it's very early and Marquez, I mean, he's, he's 12 points behind Villanueva at the moment we really are looking to Marquez this weekend, aren't we? because we've for the last few years we've always looked at Argentina and Texas as two banker Marquez weekends
1: Yep, there are two banker Marquez weekends and I don't see how that changes here especially at in, in, in next week on that back-to-back, but yeah, I think this is a very strong Marquez circuit, as you said. It, it masks a lot of those Honda-related problems very well indeed. Um, and again, he's he's been a perennial powerhouse around here since, since its inclusion on the calendar in 2014, I want to say. I think it made its first appearance it on the was. calendar. So um, I got a year one right for once. <laughs> I'm nearly a year out on these things. But yeah, it's a very strong Marquez circuit and again he'll be the favorite going in and and again marquez probably needs the win here because this is the way this is where he gets his points from so let's see how it plays out yeah yeah
0: it's going to be very interesting to see uh davizioso is also talking about his chances this weekend he says the ducati goes well around to master because he went very well for 99.9 percent of last year's race until you know <laughs> they decided to skittle the pair of them out um uh, because they were on target for a two three last year um in this race i mean one thing we can only hope, Ray, I mean, I think we're going to get another race where the manufacturers are all pretty close together because they were last year, it has to be said. They um, we were. Said Vinales went very well before falling off. Crutchlow was up there as well as um, Marquez before he fell off. Um, Yanone looked very good on the Ducati, so we'd expect it to go very well on the Suzuki. Um, it's another circuit where it's not going to best necessarily show up the deficiencies of the Aprilia, so we might see Aleix Spago go very well uh, this weekend too. Um which kind of makes you worry and makes you fear for Jorge Lorenzo uh, because he made no secret the fact that he, well, he had a shocker in Qatar and doesn't like Temasterio Hondo all that much because it's a circuit that's usually filthy dirty on a Friday. Yeah. Um, And Lorenzo hates it when the grip surface is low. Um, And that's kind of what Lorenzo's going to be faced with this weekend, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Lorenzo is a rider of confidence. And if, if, like... A dirty track, because they don't race at the Argentina place very often over the course of a calendar year, so the track is most likely going to be quite dirty going into the weekend. And if grip levels are low, it hurts Lorenzo's confidence, and if Lorenzo has no confidence, he's not very fast. He he is a rider of confidence. See the pattern here? But um, if that's going to continue, then Lorenzo might very well struggle around there again. He's not ever had a particularly good finish around here. He's been outclassed by Honda in the past and of course he crashed last year Best so of third i think in argentina yeah, exactly he's never had a top 2 finish in argentina to date and given that how slow he was compared to his teammate in Qatar which is a track known for balance in the books that's not a good sign
0: and dovi does go well in argentina well he was uh, he was second to rossi in 2015 and would have been second last year had you known he not torpedoed him two corners uh, out so so, um, yeah, look out for Dovi again this weekend. He's another guy. He's, like, he's almost like Chris Nidden, isn't he, Motor GP. He always starts the season very well. Like you always look at the championship when we head to Europe and Dovi's up there somewhere, having had a few podiums early on. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for him. Um, Moto2 and Moto3, uh, we're kind of just going to sort of watch and find out with everyone else, aren't we? Because we're still not quite sure how those seasons are going to pan out. We, we kind of know in MotoGP um, how the championship's going to figure. It's going to be the likes of Marquez, Vinales, and Rossi going at it for the season. Uh, once it's all said and done but moto two and moto three we're still not quite sure yet um so the kind of questions are can Morbidelli keep up his level of dominance from qatar and what the hell is gonna happen in moto three because you could pretty much pick any one of a dozen riders for that one
1: sod on moto three i'm not wasting my time pre- previewing a crap shit, but um in, in <laughs> moto two power
0: powy can't curb stop them all this year <laughs> depends we're gonna get rain again if he wins a motor two race on his second time out then we are talking about a rain god
1: because the thing is is that basically i've seen the weather schedules they're saying rain is in the air for friday and sunday on the bill for argentina Uh-oh. so keep half an eye on that i want the odds on, on. yeah <laughs> We're putting all our money on Danilo Petrucci Powy, Powie. Sonnet. I'm, I'm going to be talking to you from my gold boat next week. Um, but in any case, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bedelli. he was strong here last year before we crashed it, too, if I'm not mistaken. I think he finished he and was, he was running in second place last year before the accident he had. Because, again, it was the bump of poor judgment I think they caught him out last yeah, season. Yeah, it so. Was. So, yeah, Morbidelli will definitely be one to watch for this race as well. Because, again, he was comfortable here last year. And I think he's a much better rider since then. So, definitely one to keep an eye on. I think Morbidelli's got a good chance of winning this one as well and doubling up.
0: Yeah, the only thing I would say in preview to Moto3, um before we go is which will Romano Finati do? Will he win or kick someone? He usually does one or the other. Uh, or in but- Argentina. Uh, yeah, or both. Yeah, he usually does one or the other. He usually either wins or switches someone's bike off. Um, because that's that's pretty much run uh Argentine robbery history um so, oh, so yes. we will see uh, this weekend uh, we look forward to following you all as the weekend goes on uh, as I say all the places you can find us where you'll probably see us talking a bit of bikes as well as the weekend unfolds uh, and a bit of formula one um, because that's back this weekend too um on facebook facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 on Twitter motorsport underscore uh, 101 to find us on there we are on youtube youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101. Um, And you can find our podcast in all the good places where podcasts are released, including SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, If you want to back us financially and you like us that much, of course you can by heading to Patreon, patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, if you do back us there, you'll know that because you're listening to this before everyone else uh, because you get access to both motorsport101 and bike life. Um, Model Spot 101 Episode 79, The Ultimate Thrill Drive, is available right now. Um, so if you haven't listened to it already, go check it out, um, yep. because now this show is over. Um, and next week, Episode 81, find out if uh, Lewis Hamilton has managed to wangle Dre off the Ferrari narcotic. What do you reckon, Dre? <laughs>
1: Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> like, I've, I've been here too many times, Adamie. I I've been here too many times. You can really
0: tell, listeners, he's trying not to build his
1: hopes up. Nope. <laughs> Absolutely. I am really trying not to because like if it I've said I said it on episode eighty, if Ferrari if, if Ferrari wins here and Vettel wins here, then start believing. That's if not if if not then well it could still be a long season. But, like China is basically a glorified Drome. it's the Drome out there. So given that China's probably a lot more representative of, of what the F one season is compared to Albert Park then, hey, if Ferrari's good round here, we might be on to something. If not, well, it's, it's going to be a long season until November. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so, uh, yeah,
0: Sebastian Vettel <laughs> gets it on this weekend. Look forward to another Conor McGregor-style intro uh, from, <laughs> from, from, from Dre next week. Um Look forward to that next week. As I say, the uh, tentative plan uh, is for one on 101 next Wednesday, back live more than likely next Friday. Um, here on Motorsport 101, so keep an eye out for that. That just about does us for this week. Then, huge thanks to Andre Harrison for joining me this week. Huge thank you to all of you for listening this week. Uh, this uh, is being Bite Live episode six uh, here on Motorsport 101. We look forward to joining you next week for episode seven and indeed for episode 81 of Motorsport 101. So, until then, from the two of us, it's a very warm goodbye.
2: Sayonara.
0: <laughs> this week's episode of Bike Live is dedicated to the memory of Mick Wally, the rider who lost his life tragically at Donington Park at the weekend in the Ducati Performance Tri Options Cup Race. The rider sadly succumbed to his injuries at the Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham. Uh, our thoughts go to his family and his friends.